Stephen Peake, thank you very much indeed for talking to us today in the Judge Business School's Window on the World podcast. Can you tell me what you mean by the term climate leadership? Climate leadership is about the knowledge, skills, techniques, confidence that we, all of us, need to imagine how do we transform ourselves from today's industrialised system based on fossil fuels and often based on deforestation into a new form of capitalism where we value uh, the environment, including the atmosphere, and we transform ourselves towards energy supply sides, uh, services which are derived from renewable energy sources and also that we have completely new challenging technologies and ideas on the demand side of actually how we use energy and how we run the economy. So I suppose it's relevant at a corporate level of leadership and at a political level of leadership all over the world. Certainly relevant at the level of political leadership at the corporate level, but also at the individual. We found that if you ask people who's responsible for tackling this tremendous problem of climate change, there's a very confused mixture of answers. Typically one group thinks the other group is responsible. So if we talk to corporate leaders, they'll say, well, I'm doing my best, but I can't do it without government also leading. If you talk to government, they'll say, we don't actually have much cash, it's the corporations. If you talk to individuals, they'll say, it's both government and corporations. The truth is that we need leadership at all levels, and that means individuals, corporations, government, the third sector, the whole lot. It's our joint project to redesign this world for a low-carbon economy. Is the global recession we appear to be entering a trigger point for saying, well, we need new leadership in terms of climate change? Well, it's extremely interesting and topical to think about that. What I see in the global financial crisis that we face is that it is teaching us the difference between real value and false value, between what happens when we uh, put ourselves into great amounts of debts in order to live in an unsustainably financial way. And so it tells us that actual, actually sustainability has a financial dimension to it. Financial, uh, the financial sector understands what sustainability means in a financial sense. But it reminds us that actually this current form of capitalism, uh, the current way of development, is based on ecological debts. We are, we are borrowing from the future and we are destroying the atmosphere, we're polluting the atmosphere, destroying the forests, the soil, the water, many of our ecosystems at a rate which is completely incompatible and unsustainable. So in fact, there's a lesson between the two and I think it just opens our minds and makes us more receptive and responsive to ideas about what does leadership mean. I mean, previously, um, a year or two ago, had we been talking about a new policy or measure that may have costed one or two billion dollars, there had been a great debate about whether this was a useful and, and uh, useful way of using public money in order to solve the climate problem. But now, regularly, day by day, we have. Uh, figures like one or nearly one trillion dollars being applied on top of a 700 billion dollar rescue package and this is to save the financial sector to shore up confidence i think it's just going to be a matter of time before the uh, environmental leaders climate leaders of the world will make the connection and say well actually for just a small fraction of these financial sums we can insure ourselves against what is the most frightening global problem that we face which is the terrible uh, effects of a great increase in temperature, a rapid increase in temperature. And so it makes climate policy look cheap. Are you surprised by the fact that when world leaders in America and Britain and all over Europe are devising new 
fiscal packages, and these are creative fiscal packages in a way that we haven't seen before. They're recreating the rules, and yet they haven't built in anything to tackle climate change. I think the problems are complicated enough, and I think to start bringing in the climate dimension immediately in this very short-term time frame where we really are talking about uh, confidence and trying to rescue and save banks from going under and and build and restore short-term confidence, I think that's a completely different problem. The climate problem is with us for the rest of this century and the rest of the next. It's absolutely imperative that we start to act now and that we accelerate our actions, but it isn't imperative on the scale of next week or the week after. We've got to go carefully and by uh, tying the financial horse to the climate wagon in, in an inappropriate way could just backfire and send us back a few years. So I'm, I'm, I'm very cautious about saying that the immediate debates about the financial crisis present an opportunity. I think the medium to longer term debate presents a tremendous opportunity to say, look, what happened was based on leverage, it was based on debt, it was based on the difference between what is real and what is not real, between debt confidence and economic growth. We currently are running a massive ecological debt. We have to do something about that in the long term, and we have to sort that out. Are you then optimistic about Barack Obama and a new president of the United States? Because he has said climate change is his number one priority alongside the economy. Well, it's marvellous news for the international climate negotiation that uh, President-elect Barack Obama is committed to restoring relations with the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change and presumably he's going to sign, ratify the Kyoto Protocol and the US is going to come formally into the international negotiations. But I do want to make the point that the United States never really actually left the international climate negotiations. There's a big difference between having a president of the United States who was sceptical about the science of climate change, who was reluctant to ratify Kyoto. There's a big difference between that and the people and the leaders, the corporate and political leaders of the United States, who all along in the past eight years have actually been Uh, more uh, interested in what's going on. They've continued to be part of negotiations. Action at the level of individuals and states and mayors in the US has been building. We had the McCain-Lieberman Stewardship Act, which narrowly failed. Uh, We had a bill in 2007 to promote renewables and energy efficiency. In fact, domestically, the US has been doing a great deal. And historically, we would not be in the international system where we are now. We would not be there without the help of the United States. It was the United States that did the initial work on the science of climate change. It was the United States that formed the Kyoto Protocol with its trading and its uh, clean development mechanism, essentially the sweeteners which got the deal through. It's the United States that has many of the world's best and leading research labs and many of the brains which we need to help us solve this global problem. So it's absolutely wonderful news that that Obama is um, enthusiastic about climate change, uh, but it's important to realise that the US never, ever had walked away from the table. If you then had to say, I'm going to teach climate leadership to a corporate leader or I'm going to teach climate leadership to a political leader how would you go about that? Is it a process that can be learnt? It's a process that you have to go through. Each and every one of us when confronted with the science of climate change which tells us that our patterns of behaviour and consumption and our expectations for the future um, are completely 
um, unsustainable, that business as usual is not an option because in that direction lies climate chaos and calamity. When we're confronted with that, with that science, each and every one of us is in some sort of slight shock. And these typical defence mechanisms of sort of denial um, and, and, and splitting that it can't be true kicks in. And each of us, uh, depending on when we became aware of the climate crisis, the climate challenge, is at a different stage. And as time goes by, you gen- one generally sees that people begin to assimilate and accept the science and stop thinking it can't be true. They say, OK, if it's true, what can we do about it? How much will it cost? What are the options? And slowly, a degree of rationality and optimism begins to come back. So it's a process that all of us have to go through. Corporate leaders have to go through it too. And typically what we do is we, we, we outline the science in the best, most accurate Uh, most objective way, we allow leaders to assimilate that, to discuss that, to say, what does that mean? How significant is is that? How sure are we? Once that confidence is built that the actual problem is real and challenging, then you see the next phase kick in, which is the sort of degrees of creativity and commit personal commitment that they can throw at the problem. So the thing is not necessarily a textbook or a set of rules or a set of principles that I could get out of my pocket and say, that's how you do climate leadership. Climate leadership is about understanding, it's about commitment to act, and it's about faith that you have to pursue lines of actions which can be quite uncomfortable and quite business unusual, but you've got to stay on that course and you've got to bring others with you. So if I wanted my corporation or my prime minister or president to set about climate leadership in the short term, what could I ask them to do? What could I ask them to to bring about change? Well, I mean, beyond each of us taking individual actions, recycling, uh, taking a bike instead of a car, etc., recycling our plastic bags, one of the most powerful things we can do as an individual citizen or consumer or member of an organisation is to give our leaders, political and corporate, give them permission to explore and experiment and take risks with business strategies and for us not to accuse them of hypocrisy when there's a difference between their stated values and their actual behaviour, but to give all leaders a chance to actually experiment because we don't know what all the solutions are, but we do know we have to learn by doing, we have to practice, and that's the way forward. So by simply um, stating that you are concerned and that you are prepared uh, to give leadership a chance to explore alternatives in a classic sort of design way is a very powerful thing. And indeed, that's what the Corporate Leaders Group on Climate, which is run from the Cambridge Programme for Industry, is doing regularly. This group of corporate leaders writes to the Prime Minister or sends uh, a message to the international climate negotiations and says, hey, we, the corporate leaders, require you, the political leaders to take some action, to take some bold steps. We need regulating, we need helping, we need to do this together. And that's precisely that kind of process taking place at that high level. So it's something that you could teach the FTSE 100 index companies to integrate into their corporate being and corporate well-being? FTSE 100 companies are all... um, pretty responsible, they're all stakeholder responsive. They've understood what 
the environmental challenges are. They've understood that consumers and their stakeholders and their supply chains are interested in it. And most of those companies, if not all of them, are behaving legally and completely responsibly and they're doing the best thing they can. But what we actually need to see happen if we're going to tackle this problem is a transformation beyond that to the organisations that are prepared to experiment and take risks, do things which are not necessarily now at the core of their strategy. There must be risks taken. And those organisations, as they move to that, that next level of response, taking the risk and then ultimately uh, transforming their business models completely because they've understood that's what they need to do, and that's the challenge, and that's where we are now. It's a whole set of companies that are currently doing the right thing, the legal thing, what is required, but we need much more than that. And that's what takes leadership. And the recession shouldn't be an excuse not to do climate leadership. Not at all. Uh, it's clear that with the kinds of sums of money that are being uh, thrown at, uh, at stabilising the financial crisis, at getting rid of debts and restoring confidence, there's no doubt that some green plans and investment in the short term may be affected. But actually, this lesson, this reminder for us about what is real what is real and what is not real in terms of the sustainability of our financial systems and this notion that our current patterns of consumption and economic growth are based on sustainable financial levels and sustainable ecological levels is actually going to help us in the future. And I think in the medium to long term, that lesson of real and not real and what is debt and what is acceptable debt and what is not, we're going to carry that forward and in a sense there could be a lot of positive coming out of this financial crisis which will help us make the right, sustainable uh, decisions uh, for climate in the future. Stephen Peake, thank you very much indeed for talking to us today in the Judge Business School's Window on the World podcast. Thank you.